So this morning we will look at uh, two stories of mountaintop transfigurations. As noted before, today is uh, called Transfiguration Sunday, the last Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany, of course, follows on Christmas. Christmas is 12 days, and then at the end of the 12th day, the Magi arrive from the east, and as Gentiles, they perceive the unfolding of God's love in the birth of Jesus. So it's called Epiphany because the light shines out from God to the nation of Israel and to all the world, the Gentiles, you and me. And so that season continues until today, where again, the season closes with a celebration of light. Light was the first of God's creation. It was in the birth of the Christ child that the light shined to all the world, Jews and Gentiles alike. And in this mountaintop experience, shared by Moses in the book of Exodus and then by Jesus in Matthew's gospel, the light will shine out not so much for them, but rather through them. And in these mountaintop experiences, we might catch a glimmer of how that light is shed not only for them in ages past, but for us, and become a means by which our own lives are illuminated and inspired. We find instruction and empowerment, encouragement for our living in the day that we are given. You'll notice, as Brian said, that both Moses and Jesus observe safe camping practices. They both go with three companions. So one more thing we can attribute to Holy Scripture, safe camping. That was a joke. I hate it when I tell a joke and I have to tell you that it was a joke. That's, this is why I've never given up my day job. So first, uh, from the book of Exodus. Moses is called by God to the mountain. The Lord said to Moses, let me pause there. The Lord, here, capital L, capital O-R-D, um, is the representation of the name of God. You may remember earlier in the book of Exodus when Moses was tending his father-in-law's sheep, he perceived a bush that was burning. And he paused, he stood long enough to realize that the bush was burning but was not consumed. And so he went and he stood closer and a voice came out of the bush and said, take off your sandals, you are standing on holy ground. Anybody ever had that camping? <laughs> that one worked, you see, okay. Camping jokes are back, okay. And Moses said, well, who are you? And the voice said, well, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Moses had either the wisdom or the temerity, probably a little bit of both, to say, all right, but what is your name? Now, this is a very provocative and really unexpected question for a mortal to pose to the deity. Because in the ancient Near East, to know someone's name 
It created an inextricable bond with the other person, being, and it also gave you, in a sense, some power in the relationship. You had a hold on the person. You, they couldn't deny knowing you. You were together. And Moses says to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, well, what is your name? Now, the remarkable thing is that God responds. And God says, I am who I am. Or, the Hebrew is a little ambiguous, I am who I have always been, or I am who I will be. I am, in a sense, beingness itself. I am being. And in the immortal words of the 20th century theologian Paul Tillich, I am the ground of being upon which everything else in the universe is built. I am beingness. And this name, I am who I am, is so holy because it's God's name, we can't ever express it out loud. And so the people of God began calling this person, not person, this God, Adonai, Lord, rather than to speak the holy name of God, the Tetragrammaton. And so this being, who is being itself, said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for the people's instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God with the elders and said, Wait here for us, Aaron and Hur are with us, and whoever has a dispute may settle it with them. And then Moses went further up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. All the people were at the base of the mountain watching this. The, the mountain is covered in a cloud. And the Lord settled upon Mount Sinai, the being who is being itself, settled on Mount Sinai in this cloud. And now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people. And Moses entered into the cloud and went up on the mountain. And for 40 days, Moses was on the mountain. 40 days and 40 nights. Amen. This is a scene that is fit only to Cecil B. DeMille. Right? Magnavision and Technicolor. The enormity of this event, the presence of God and this heaviness of God, the cloud, the fire, and Moses striding into the presence of the divine. And he returns after 40 days and 40 nights with the commandments that God had given them. All kinds of trouble has happened while he's been absent, but we won't get into that. But when he came down the mountain, Moses' face was luminous. It shone like the sun because he had been in the presence of God. The people could not bear to look at Moses because it blinded them, this luminosity. And they had to wear a veil over his face 
for the rest of his life because they had come in direct contact with God's own self. Wow. Now God had gone up, called Moses up onto the mountain, not so much to do something for Moses, but to do something through Moses for the people, the commandments, the Torah given to them to show them that having been saved from Egyptian slavery, they are not so much saved from slavery as they are saved for justice and for peace, for establishing a just and equitable society, to live in a godly way, to understand themselves to be the beloved children of God, and so live in such a way that they share that love through the establishment of compassion and care, not to abandon those who are by the wayside, but to pick them up and to carry them, to care for each other, to establish a real community, a nation focused on making God real in the world. And so in his own day, Jesus comes, called by God, to share with the people of Israel and with all the world, to renew our sense of the presence and the purpose of God, the unfolding reality of God's dream for humanity. And so like Moses, this is the thought world in which Jesus lived. He went up on a mountain. Six days after he had asked his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, he said to them at Caesarea Philippi, well, who do the people say that I am? And they gave him several answers, and then Jesus asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? He said, well, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, shh, don't tell anybody. The Messianic secret. And six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly it appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them, him. Now, the people expected that Moses and Elijah, the prophets of ancient history, would appear again just before the Messiah would come. Peter and James and John think that moment is unfolding in their midst right then and there. And so Peter said, Jesus, it is good that we are here with you. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, the sukkah that we slept in when we were in the desert, three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while Peter was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a booming voice, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome with fear and trembling. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, 
Jesus ordered them, tell no one about this vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Amen. In both of these moments, at Mount Sinai and here in Galilee, Jesus and companions, recapitulating the experience of Moses and his companions, goes up and has a divine experience, an epiphany, a theophany, a showing forth of God's love, not in order to change Moses or Jesus, but through Moses and Jesus, the people might receive a gift that they had not already recognized as having been given for them. Jesus will come down from the high mountain in Galilee, just as Moses had come down from Sinai with a gift for the people, which is not for their entertainment, but for their inspiration, not just for their enjoyment, but for their vocation as the people of God here and now sharing God's love in the practical realities of the days and times in which they live. Not just to talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Jesus comes down with his disciples, Peter and James and John, and is joined with other members of the disciples down there, and they continue in their practice of healing and teaching and feeding and loving people, living with them just where they are, just how they are, not in some lofty ivory tower speculation about the nature of God, but exhibiting and inhabiting and embodying the presence and the purpose of God in the reality of how they live. Moses went up on the mountain, Jesus went up on the mountain, not to find out how to make things better, but how to make things different, qualitatively different. Not to tinker with the edges, not to make modest improvements, not to create new symptoms of social aid and relief, but to upend the systems that oppress and hold people down. People who've turned away from God, as we all have, turned our backs on God in our lives in so many different ways. And Moses and Jesus coming down off of their relative mountaintop experiences always have to come back to the valley so that they can say to the people who are with them, turn around. Turn back. Return to the God who made you. Realize again, or perhaps for the first time, that you are the beloved child of God. Not to run off in your own wandering ways, but to find in the reality of your relationship with God the means by which you can be transformed and thereby which we can become part of the transfiguring, transforming presence of God in the world. So to our modern minds, all of this cloud and fire and smoke and we say, really? Don't get caught up in those speculations about what actually transpired in Galilee or at Sinai. Allow your mind to get caught up in the reality of what Moses and Jesus and God are really looking for, working for, 
living for in us. That can we find our true identity in our relationship with God. What we do here on Sunday morning changes the rest of the week. It reorients ourselves to the ways of God. Being the people in a gathered community drawn out from the world so that we might be sent back forth into the world to come into a haven and then to jump on a launching pad that sends us into the world because we have been touched by Jesus. He touches their shoulders and he says, do not be afraid. The enormity of God in these encounters expressed finally in the human touch of Jesus to the shoulders of the disciples who have followed them, do not be afraid. For I am with you. I am for you. The mountaintop that calls us into the valley of our living by which the love of the God who has called us to this place is shown forth into the world through you. Amen.